All right, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Hear these words. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) He had no kidding. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, People don't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. We will go that far question for you. Are you ready for spring? (laughs) It kind of, sort of, maybe feels like it might be coming. We had a little rain yesterday. What was, what's this rain stuff? It's supposed to be white and flaky. At least that feels like it's some sort of a encouraging sign that things might be warming up. I think, I think I can speak for us all and say we're all excited. Like you didn't wait a beat when I asked you. You were all like, yes, we are ready for spring and we're excited for it. And we know that spring is coming. Now, this might sound weird to you, and that's okay. I really don't care if it does. Um, but one of the things that I like the most about spring is this thing called spring cleaning. Spring cleaning. Yeah, especially when it comes to garage spring cleaning. I don't know why, but there's something about garage spring cleaning. It's it's my jam. Like, garage spring cleaning is my favorite spring cleaning. There's just something about getting in there and sweeping out all the dust and sand and brine and whatever else that comes into your garage during the winter months and just sweep it out. It just feels good. There's something about getting bicycles and scooters and bats and balls and gloves and other outdoor toys ready to be played with that just, it just makes me feel good. There's something about getting the lawnmower ready to go. Oh, it's so good. And there's something really exciting to me about making sure that the snow blower is put away and the snow shovels are, are in the right spot where we don't really have access to them because we don't need them anymore. There's something about, there's something about garage spring cleaning that just, it just feels good and right and proper and just reorganize stuff in there and it makes it feel clean. Of course, there are other, there are other things we do to do spring cleaning. Like it gets to be 45 degrees outside and we open up the windows in the house and we let the, the air come in and there's something about it that just feels so good. Spring cleaning, right? It's just part of this regular rhythm that comes around every year and it feels good and right and proper. Some of spring cleaning is hard work, but it's good work. It feels, it feels like, oh, it's just time. 
It's time to get this stuff done. Am I the only one here, or are there other people here who enjoy spring cleaning? Am I the only weird one? No, we got some other weird people too. That's so good. Spring cleaning, it just feels good. Well, guess what? The church worldwide sort of follows the same rhythm. So last Wednesday was what we call Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the season we call Lent, right? That makes today the first Sunday in the season of Lent, which is the season that leads up to Holy Week and Good Friday and celebrating Easter. And you can think of Lent as the season during which the church worldwide engages in what we might call spiritual spring cleaning. You know, None of us really knows how it happens, but somewhere along the line, we all get pretty comfortable with our lives. Don't we? I mean, bless you. Surely there are some things in our lives that, that aren't quite right, right? We all have flaws and weaknesses, but as long as nobody else knows about them, then everything's okay, right? But the problem with that is, is we know about those flaws and weaknesses, and we know that those flaws and those weaknesses, sort of the junk in our lives, we know that those things affect the lives of others. And knowing that, having that knowledge can affect our sense of self-worth. It can even cause us to feel alienated or lonely or maybe like we're, we're sort of wandering around or a little bit lost. And then somewhere along the line, we get to the point where we think to ourselves, I really should do something about that. And we feel this need for what we might call spiritual spring cleaning. Well, Lent, Lent gives us that opportunity, right? Isn't it interesting that, that uh, the rhythm of the church sort of matches and follows the rhythm of all creation? It's almost as if there's something natural about this. There comes a point in time where, where we feel it, like it's just time. It's time for some intentional self-examination. It's, it's a time where we can look at our lives and gain some self-awareness about where we're headed, where we're going, and what it all means. It's a time where, where we recognize that those, there are those places in our lives where we're not necessarily living out of our best selves. We're taking the easy way out. Lent is a time for change. Lent is a time for change. Repent. That's the churchy word for it. To turn around. To move in, in an opposite direction. Right? It's time. It's a time. Lent is a time where we sort of allow God's forgiveness. Allow God's love. Allow God's grace to to recreate us. You ever feel like you need a little recreation happening in your life? Lent. This is the time where we do that. Now, Lent always begins with the same story. It's this weird little story about Jesus spending 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness fasting and praying. And then at the end of these 40 days and 40 nights, the devil comes and uh, has three tests for Jesus, three temptations for him to consider. So at this point in his life, Jesus is about 30 years old. He's at this point in, the, in his life where, where many of us uh, who've experienced the age of 30, we get to that point in our lives and, and we start to, to sort of reconsider life and think about career and, 
and where we are and where everything is headed and, and what it all means. He's just had a really powerful experience of self-awareness when he's baptized. He's just coming out of this experience of self-awareness. When he's baptized in the River Jordan by his cousin John and he feels God's claim on his life, the Father's claim on his life in a whole new way and he knows that everything is going to change now. His life is different. He's now going on a different direction. He now, he now has a special mission in the world. And then the Spirit leads him out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit, the Spirit leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now, that seems like it's a big, long conversation waiting to happen, doesn't it? The Spirit leads him out there. Unfortunately, we don't have time this morning. You can talk about that over lunch with whomever you're eating lunch. Anyway, so Matthew tells the story, and the way he tells his story about Jesus is very Jewish in nature. When, when you read through it, you notice that there are echoes of the Old Testament all throughout his gospel, and this is one of those places. So Jesus goes into the desert, and he spends 40 days and 40 nights, which is sort of symbolic of the 40 years that the Israelites spend wandering in the desert before they enter into the, the promised land. But it's even more than that. It's also symbolic of when Moses went on top, the 40 days that Moses spent on the top of Mount Sinai receiving the commandments from God. You can find that in Exodus chapter 24. In spite of the fact that God had been present with the Israelites during, during that time, in spite of that fact that he'd been present with them in a pillar of fire, in a cloud, in the tabernacle, while Moses was up there getting the commandments from God, the Israelites were down at the bottom of the mountain sort of wrestling with what it means to be the people of God and wrestling with where is this God? What is happening? We can't see this God. And it's all sort of confusing. And they give in to temptation. So they go to Moses' brother, Aaron, foolish dude, and they say, hey, will you make for us a golden calf? And he did. And they gave in to temptation, right? So Matthew sets the scene of Jesus' temptation using this sort of imagery. His temptations reflect the temptations that Israel had in the desert. And I think that's pretty cool. Anyway, the devil shows up and gives Jesus three temptations that I think are sort of clickbaity in nature. You heard me right. Clickbaity. You know what clickbait is, right? Like you'll be reading through an article, something you want to read, and in the middle or at the end, there'll be a headline that's sort of tantalizing in nature. And it, it's a link to another article. And it's something that really makes you want to click it. Like it's clickbait. Like, like, like this. Two simple ways to melt 20 pounds of fat off your body in 20 days. Well, yeah, I want that. Click. Right? It's, it often offers you a shortcut to something that you really, really want and you'd like to have. And oftentimes, these are things that you don't even know you want until you read the headline about what it is they're telling you you ought to want. And you're like, I want that. Click. They're sort of clickbaity. So I think the devil's temptations here are sort of clickbaity in nature. Should we go through them? Should we take a look one by one? Okay, here's the first one. Here's the headline. 
turn these stones into bread. You won't believe how it will change your life. Ooh, click. So he's been there for 40 days, 40 nights. He's been fasting the whole entire time. He is famished. We miss one meal and we get grumpy. If I haven't eaten lunch and it's three in the afternoon, don't talk to me. You won't be pleased. So he's famished. He's starving. He's weak. And so evil comes and says to him, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Like, Jesus, you've been given this amazing ability. You are incredible. Use what you've been given for yourself just this once. It'll be just fine. Use what you've been given for yourself. So here we have a temptation, right? To use what we've been given only for ourselves. Right? We've been given so much. So much. We've been given you know, beyond abundantly. And there's this temptation we have to use it to, to sustain our health, ourselves. Or, or we like to talk about it as we like to get ahead. Or we talk about it as that we want to become successful. Let everybody else fend for themselves because it's a tough, hard world out there. So we've got to use what we've been given in order to gain more. Right? It's like the world we live in. It's like the society we've built. For ourselves. Like, use what you've been given to acquire and gain more. And so we do. We do, we do this all the time. We look for the, the easy way to fill our lives, our empty stomachs, and our empty souls very quickly. We fall into this game of serving ourselves. We fill up on spiritual and physical things that will satisfy us for a little while, but the emptiness will return. And so here's Jesus in the desert. It's been 40 days and 40 nights of, of no food. And he says, turn these stones into bread. But Jesus knows that if he turns these stones into bread and he satisfies that, he's just going to be hungry in four hours again. He's going to be empty again. So Jesus is sort of inviting us here to consider that the only thing that will truly satisfy us is the presence of God. The only thing that will free us to be the people that God wants us to be is the presence of God. So listen to what Jesus says. He says, it is written, people do not live on bread alone. Like, do, do we really understand that? People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And otherwise, Jesus is saying that doesn't need to be successful, at least not in the way the world defines it, <laughs> not even close. He, he doesn't need to build himself up. He doesn't need to sustain himself. He doesn't need to sort of show off to get ahead. He doesn't need to impress, right? He doesn't need to sustain himself because that's the Father's work. That's God's job. God's going to take care of him. And you know what that did for Jesus? It freed Jesus up to be exactly the kind of person that the Father was calling him to be. Think about how he used his power. How did he use his power? Did he ever use it on himself? If we read through these stories about Jesus in the Bible, he never uses his power on himself, for himself. He's always giving it away. Always, relentlessly giving his power away. He gives his power away to love, to heal, 
to, to free people, to teach, to forgive. He uses his power to, to cross all sorts of barriers to include those who have been pushed aside, marginalized. That's what he did. He constantly gave himself away all the time. Even at the end, when he's hanging on the cross, right, there were people there who were jeering up at him. They were saying, look, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Oh, they totally misunderstood him. No, it's not that he couldn't. It's that he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't save himself. He gave himself away. Oh, we use what we've been given to build ourselves up so much. How do we give ourselves away? How do we let go of what we've been given? How do we, how do we live life larger than we've been living that's the first thing. Here's the second one. This is clickbaity too. Man jumps off the top of the temple. You won't believe what happens next. Click what happens next. So evil comes to Jesus and says, go ahead, jump off the temple. See if God shows up. You know he will. You know he'll send his angels to catch you. The Bible even tells you that. Friends, this is the temptation to, to sort of devise a test to see if God will show up. Right? To see if God's as faithful as God says he is. Right? God, if, if I do this, if you do this for me, God, then I promise you I'll do this. You know, we do this all the time. And I think oftentimes that we do this without even knowing about it, without even thinking about it. Right? I, think, I think this happens to us because of our, our lack of awareness that we're just not aware of the presence of God. We're just not paying attention. Think of it this way. Instead of spending significant amount of time trying to discern what God wants from us, how many times do we make plans and then just hope that God blesses them? Like we move forward without ever trying to connect with the divine first? Or how often do we engage in risky behavior and then just hope that God will save us in the end. So Jesus responds by quoting part of Israel's story when they're wandering in the desert and they're wondering whether or not God is really there. Like they think that God might not be there because they don't think they have enough water to drink. And in that story is this line. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Jesus' faith led him to the realization that God is faithful no matter the outcome. That God has already proven his faithfulness to us. Think about it. We all have life. We all have breath. We all have hearts that beat. We all have friends and family to love and who love us. And no matter what happens in this life, God's always going to be there. The question is, are we seeking are we looking? Here's the, the third one. The secret to world domination, it really is at your fingertips. Really? Click. Evil comes and says, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, 
away from me, Satan, for it is also written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Satan, the devil, evil, is offering Jesus all kinds of power. But it turns out that Jesus isn't really interested at all in the kind of power that the evil one is offering to him. In fact, Jesus isn't interested at all in power the way the world wields power. No, Jesus is interested and Jesus is after something entirely different than the power that we see displayed in the world. He's interested in something totally different because he knows that God and the Father, God, he knows that the Father is interested in something totally different, a different kind of power. You see, the kingdoms of this world are all about darkness. Think about how many things are hidden. It's why we have to do so many investigations, right? They're all about darkness. The kingdom of God is about the light. It's about openness. The kingdoms of this world are about coercion and bondage and violence. The kingdom of God is about peace and the flourishing of all people and all creation. The kingdoms of this world are about pleasure. If it feels good, go get it. It'll be just fine. If it makes you happy, it's got to be good. So go for it. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, doing what is right. The kingdom of God is about justice, doing what is right, not just for you, but for all people. And again, we include all of creation. The kingdom of God, the kingdoms of this world are about lies and deception and what we now call fake news. The kingdom of God is about the truth and good news. The kingdoms of this world all too often bring about death. The kingdom of God is about life. See, Jesus isn't interested in the way that power is wielded in the world. He's not interested in that. He's interested in something completely and totally different. He doesn't align himself with the powers of this world. He's, in, he's, he's into something much, much different than the way we see power wielded in the world. Are we, what kind of power are we interested in? What kind of power do we align ourselves with? I want to say one last thing. I want to talk about the nature of temptation and how it works. Uh, and I'll be sort of paraphrasing a 15th century theologian named Thomas Akempis. And it, this line of thinking goes like this. Temptation begins with a thought. Right? Sometimes it's a fleeting thought, but it's a thought. It sort of passes through our minds. Right? And then we put some imagination behind it. Right? We invest a little bit more into that thought. Right? And then we begin to delight in that thought. So there's sort of a process that goes. So first there's a thought. Then we put some effort into it. We put some imagination behind it. We start dreaming about the outcomes of this. And then we begin to take delight in that thought. And then the next step is consent. Okay, I'm going to do this. And then 
there's action. So there's sort of a process that goes there. I wonder in that moment, when that first thought comes, I wonder if we could just remind ourselves that we're not alone, that the Spirit really is there, that the one who holds all things together really is present with us and really is on our side. I wonder if in those moments we realize that we have a whole community of people that are on our side. I wonder if we decided to lean into those two things, which is interesting because Jesus sort of points us in that direction. It's the most important thing. Love God, love people. I wonder if we would, in those moments, I wonder if we leaned into those things, if things would turn out the way we know they ought to turn out a little more often. Hmm. And in those times when it's not clear, it's sort of not black and white, which is often, I think, when we, those times when we don't know what we ought to do. I wonder if those times, if it might be good to remember that, that God is a God of grace and that God ultimately is a God of, of love, that God is a God of forgiveness. And then, yeah, we're probably going to make a mess of things every once in a while, but the reality is, is God's never going to let us down. And God's never going to let us go. And that ultimately, you know what? Everything is going to be okay because you are loved. Let's pray. God, thank you for the ways in which you speak to us. Thank you for this story. God, we all face those moments in life, those sort of forks in the road where we've got one option and then there's another option and sometimes we know which way to go and sometimes we don't. Um, but we know, oh God, that, that you are always present with us. And so we ask, oh God, for, for your help and your power to, to lean into you, to lean into your presence, to lean into the presence of the people around us, to, to not just hold things inside, but to, but to talk with others. The, the family of God, the people of God, the people we know love us, the people we love the most. Help us, oh God, to lean into those things. Because we know, oh God, that sometimes the desert, the wilderness can be exactly where you want us. And it's in the desert, in those spaces, where you can form us, where you can transform us, where you can strengthen us, where you can make us new. So we ask, oh God, this morning for that. Make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up.